Not in my house, right? Not in my house. Man, nothing like uh, just losing all faith in humanity than watching a bunch of mascots just crush little kids this morning. Um, how many of you would say, and, and here we have some Cincinnati sports teams represented, right? At least our mascots have a will to win, right? Just saying. All right. It's one person got it. They're like, I can't believe you said that. All right. How many of you would say you're a little bit competitive? Like if you were to admit it, you're a little bit competitive, all right? Okay. All right, about 50-50, about half of us. I'm a little bit competitive, just a little bit. Yeah, I figured that would, that would get some laughter. Um, so this past week we had, it's actually been two weeks, we had uh, a little dodgeball game, sort of spontaneous dodgeball game with our students. And, uh, of course, like, if we're going to play a game, like, I'm coming to play. Like, I'm going to be there to play. And uh, so we're, just, we're getting into it. We're kind of playing. And um, it's basically the way this dodgeball game works is it's everybody for themselves. And so you're just, like, try to be the last man standing. Try to be the last man standing. And so you're throwing the ball. You're, if you're catching it, somebody's going out. The one exception to the game is if you, you get out and you sit down on your bottom, if the ball rolls to you, you gather the ball from the ground, um, that person that, that hit off of last goes out. And so um, I'm playing, you know. I'm like, okay, hey, boys and girls, here we go. You know, we get ready to play. And I'm feeling pretty good. I'm jumping balls. I'm catching balls. I'm starting to kind of like throw some balls. And, uh, and here we are. We're rolling along. And um, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like no participation trophies today kind of thing. You know, like it's, we're all in. And so I'm playing, you know, I'm playing hard. And then all of a sudden, like, there's this shift in the game that takes place, you know, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Um, I maybe had won a game or two, and then all of a sudden, there's this dynamic change, and one of our students uh, starts picking up the ball when he would get the ball, and he would roll the ball to other people so that they could get back in, and then he'd sit down, you know, and be, sacrifice himself so that somebody else could play, and so now I feel like this big, like, as a human being, and I'm like, way to go. But we are, we have this wiring, don't we, this wiring to win. And it's nothing wrong with winning, right? There's nothing wrong with a little friendly competition. But really, as a culture, it's something that we're so obsessed with in so many different ways. We have this constant need to be on top, right, or to rise to the top, to be the best at what we do, to have the latest and greatest, to be admired, esteemed, to be great, and as we think about this theme this month and the months to come over the summer here of joyride and this ride that we've been on, um, when it comes to this obsession with winning and this need to be at the top, in some ways this runs contrary to the joyride. And what I mean by that, it happens in two ways. The first is this. If there's this constant need to be on top, you're going to come to find out in life that there's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody that's done it better, that's had a cooler idea, that's a little bit greater in whatever aspect of life. And so if your joy is dependent on being the best, you're going to constantly struggle. You're going to constantly struggle to find joy. The other challenge that we run into when we think about this winning mentality and this mentality to want to be the best is, in many ways, it runs contrary to the example that we see in Scripture. And even Jesus' disciples, they fell into this trap, and there was this one time, and maybe you've read the story, where they're arguing in front of Jesus about who's the greatest, right? I mean, you can imagine the conversation, and many of us in one way or another have had that same conversation among friends, who would be the greatest. And Jesus used this opportunity to reframe their thinking about um, what an actual, the, the mentality of winning really should look like, what greatness actually should look like. And so he grabs a child he plops that child down in front of them, and he talks about this child, and he says, you should become like this child. If you actually want to be great, 
It's the least among you that will be the greatest. And what he's telling us is that in his kingdom, we don't ascend to greatness. We don't climb the ladder in the way that the world does. We don't ascend to greatness um, in the kingdom of God. We descend to greatness. And Jesus shows us the same thing by his example, that we don't ascend to greatness, we descend to greatness. And that's what we're talking about this morning as we continue in our Joyride series. So each week we've had a verse, and so I'm going to have you read this verse along with me, and we're going to talk about what this means. So read this with me. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's pray and ask God to show us what that looks like this morning. Father, thank you for another opportunity to gather Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for continuing to invite us on this ride uh, that you have in store for us, God, to really seize joy and really just pull the most out of life that we possibly can. God, we want to model you. We want to emulate you. We want to learn how we can, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset that you had, God. And so show us that this morning as we open your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn with me, we're looking at Philippians 2 this morning, and we're continuing right where we left off last week. And so I'm going to give just a little piece of what Stephen talked about last week, and then we're going to build on it this morning. So last week, he talked about that we do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. And then we continue on today in verse 4, and it says this, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus. For though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so what we see again is this pattern of Jesus showing us and emulating for us and setting this example that we really have to, if we want to be great, the greatest among us are going to be the servants. The greatest among us are going to be the least. And so it's this descent to greatness. And so how do we descend into the same mindset that Jesus had? And so I want to pull some things from the text today. The first is this, and this is the first thing that I want to pull to the surface for this morning is this, that those that have humility and those that are attempting to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and descend to greatness do this. They think more of others. They think more of others. And it might sound simple, but it's not always easy to play out in the culture around us. Have this mind among yourselves, it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It is possible to possess this mentality that says that others are actually, I'm going to count others better than myself. And Jesus did it. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped or to gripped onto. In fact, he let all that go for the sake of humanity. Though he was God, he considered us worthy. Though he had every right to ignore us, right? Every right to reject us, every right to disregard us, he owed us nothing. Let's just get that out there first and foremost. Jesus really owed us nothing. I mean, he was God. Yet he chose to have something to do with us. In fact, he chose to have everything to do with us. He valued us so much that he disregarded heaven so that he could come to earth. He gave us everything in himself. And by that example, he shows us how we are to respond and react with those around us. In 1 John three sixteen through 18, it says, By this we know love 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, and what a powerful picture there, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us step out in that way to seize the same mindset that Jesus had. And that's that he continued to, in every way, disregard his own preferences and his own privileges so that he could respond on behalf of humanity. And we ought to do the same thing. You know, one of the the things that I just love about my son Aiden is he is just a wild man, first of all. He's got this head. We tell him his head is like a wrecking ball, and it is. Like, you never want to be, like, without paying attention. You never want to be in a certain vicinity because he might just jump on you or slam on you, or you might catch a straight elbow. You have no idea what's going to happen. And he's taken the wind out of me before, just, like, jumping on me, and I'm like, don't do that. You know, just please don't do that and just try to... But at the same side, he just has this sweet and sensitive side. And for those of you that know him, there's just this soft side about him. And the softest uh, place in his heart is reserved for his stuffed animal. And her name was once, he first named her Mabel, and uh, then he renamed her Minnie. I don't know why that happened, or, but he just thought it was in its best interest to be named Minnie. And so he takes this teddy bear everywhere. Like, he throws a fit. If we don't have it, like, we got to go back to the house to get it, right? If, we, if he's not sleeping with it, he's got to look after this thing. So it's got to be there, right? And so every, it's just this like cheap stuffed animal, um, you know, from who knows where. It was probably like $2, but this is like his prized possession. He cares so much for this teddy bear. And so much so that after uh, we got done celebrating a birthday party uh, for a family member, Aiden was like, we, you know, Minnie, Minnie's birthday's coming up. Like he... I, I had no idea, like, that Minnie's birthday was coming up, but he remembered, and of course he's not going to forget, because this is his Minnie, and so he's like, it's her, I was like, how old is she, you know, he's like, it's her first birthday, and I'm like, well, man, like, that's a big deal, and so, you know, I'm just trying to continue to, like, foster this, like, this sweet side of him to actually care about this, like, meaningless little teddy bear, you know, I'm like, and so he does, he's like, well, we got to throw a party for it, Minnie's got to have a birthday party, and so um, I'm like, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, dude, it's a teddy bear, okay, okay, we'll have a birthday day party for Minnie, you know, like, let's do it, and uh, so we, we decided that we would honor his request, and, and here we are, here celebrating Minnie's first birthday party, and uh, she had pancakes, which um, his, uh, Aiden's JoJo made for, for Minnie, and so it was just a great celebration, and uh, I just love this spirit, right? The spirit that says, I'm going to care, I'm going to be concerned. And I see it in so many other ways with him, too. And just the way that we sit down at dinner sometimes, and I'll be like, hey, buddy, who do you want to pray for? And he'll say, I want to pray for this person or this person. And many of you have been prayed for um, when we have dinner together. You know, C.S. Lewis once said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of ourselves less often. And the best way to think of yourself less is to think of others more. The more we are just consumed with and thinking about and concerned with the needs of others, you'll notice that your perspective shifts from this things that are falling apart in your world and then shifts onto someone else. If you really want to seize joy in life, let me just give you one challenge. Think more of others. Think more often of others and less of yourself. You know, i got to be honest, this is an area where I struggle 
And uh, honestly, this is in some ways, the reason I shared that with you today is because I look at Aiden a lot of times and I'm like, man, here this little kid is and he has more compassion than I do for a teddy bear, you know? And man, how much more um, do I just need this to grow in my life? And so whenever I need to, to recalibrate, I just pray this prayer again and it just goes something along these lines is, God, I just want to think like you think. I want to see the world through your eyes. I want to have a heart that beats for the things that your heart beats for. And so show me those things. And I know that sometimes when I pray that prayer, there's a moment coming where God's going to give me an opportunity to be wrecked over something um, that might be small or big, um, but I have this opportunity then to recalibrate myself. And a couple weekends ago, um, it was when we were having all that rain and everybody's grass was like up to their um, you know, hips unless you actually have time to cut yours. And uh, so... It was just crazy long for a lot of my neighbors. And there was this one uh, sweet old lady that lives down on the corner. She just moved in um, probably six months to a year ago. And she is having so much trouble with her lawnmower. Like, she can't get it going. And so much of it, like, she keeps trying. And then, like, you know, it's just, it's just getting so long. And I'm like, this is a problem. She cannot get it started. And so we had, like, a million things going on that day. And I was just, but, like, I just couldn't get this off of my mind like everywhere we went like all I could do is just picture her out there trying to start her mower can't start her mower I told you I was like I've got to get over there and like do something about this you know and so by the end of the day it was still bothering me we were exhausted because Saturdays are crazy for us running all over the place and I'm like but still this was on my mind and heart I'm like I just I have to do this I have to go um, down there and so I went and rang her doorbell and I was just like hi and she's like kind of like, you know, who are you? And I'm like, which is terrible because he lives like right down the street from me. And uh, I'm like, hey, I'm Josh. I live up here. And, you know, I have the little son, Aiden, who he talks to her all the time too as he walks by. Hey, what's your name? You know, all this stuff. So she knows him. You know, she has no, no I, I was like, oh, I'm Aiden's dad, you know, the, the guy that actually has compassion and care. And uh, I'm just here to, to see if I could help with your lawn. You know, I, I'd, I'd be, oh, you don't have to do that, whatever. I was like, no, no, really let me do that. And so um, I end up start cutting the grass. And a couple of cool things happen. Um, not only do I start cutting her grass, and I figured out, and I don't even know, the problem that she was really having is that she had set the lawnmower so low that she was just scalping it, and it was just like shutting off again and again. So I'm like, I raised it a little higher, and it was fine. It was working. And so I'm cutting the grass with her mower, and my neighbor, Paul, who's a good dude that loves the Lord too, he sees me down there, and he's like, I'm jumping in too. So he comes down, he starts cutting her grass, we're cutting it together. And after all of that, we had this opportunity to talk with her, and here's what I learned about it. I learned that Gail moved to Lebanon, Ohio, right down the street from me when her husband passed away. And she moved because she couldn't, you know, bear to be um, at the, the lake place that they used to live at together. She couldn't keep that up, and she just tried to kind of start over. And here she is. She's been living down the street from me this entire time, and I'm just now getting around um, to spending time with her and getting to know her story. And it just makes me wonder, what other things do I miss on a daily basis? Because I'm so caught up in what's going on in Josh's life that I can't see what's going on in the lives of people around me. And I just got to pray that that continues to, to shift in me, that that continues to change in me. And so I want to pose the question to you, what more could we see if we were more sensitive to the Spirit of God around us? If we really get God's eyes on and God's heart in us in a way that just, it drove us nuts when things weren't, just weren't right, right? But it just, it just bothered us, and, and we were never too important to take a break and to help somebody in need. That's what we should look like as the people of God. That's how we change the tide in our generation as we say we're going to be the kind of people that care. That we're actually going to be concerned with and care for all of those around us. And so the first thing that we need to do is this simple 
but it takes action, and that's to think more of others. And so would you be daring enough to pray that prayer? God, just show me the things that aren't right. Show me the things that burden your heart and allow those same things to burden my heart. And the next thing that we do is we can't just have a mentality, right? We can't just have a mentality of humility. We can't just have that mindset. That mindset must be set into motion. The mindset of humility is one that must constantly be set into motion. And here we see from Jesus as we read on that what Jesus did is instead of hanging on to his divine privileges and his self-importance, he took the humble position of a slave. We're talking about the king of the universe, the almighty God. He took on the posture of a slave and was born as a human being. He became nothing. And he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Talk about humility. That Jesus died the most brutal an embarrassing and shameful kind of death, the God of the universe. And the Greek means here that he emptied himself, that he emptied himself on our behalf, that he lowers himself, that he humbles himself, and he gets down on our level. Are you familiar with this phrase, get on my level? Have you heard this phrase, get on my level? Some of you haven't, so I'll just give you kind of an example. Here, actually, here's the Urban Dictionary definition. All right, I don't normally quote Urban Dictionary, um, but here you go. So get on my level means it's a phrase directed at someone or something to express how much better you are than them by stating that you're on a much advanced level in terms of the respected aspect in question. And they should perhaps try to get on your level, all right? It'd be like Stephen coming in his Sunday best today and saying, hey, guys, look, at, look how good I look. Get on my level, right? He didn't actually say that, but it would be like him saying that. It'd be like... It'd be like Aaron saying, check out my Disney collection, right? Like, get on my level, you know, in that regard. So this is what this is. And you might hear somebody say, get on my level after they beat somebody at something or get on my level, and maybe it's all in good fun. Um, But here's the one person that could actually say, get on my level. And we can't even reach his level. We can't even achieve his level. We can't even come close to getting anywhere close to the level of Jesus. And what he says is not get on my level. He says, I'm going to get on your level. I'm going to come down to your level. I'm going to lower myself to your level. I'm going to meet you right where you're at. And then that's the mindset. That's when the mentality goes into motion is when we say, I'm going to meet other people on their level. I'm not going to be too above anyone. I'm not going to be too important for anyone. And those that might be different than me or think different than me, I'm not going to be better than them, but I'm going to do in every way that I can, I'm going to try my best to get down on their level and meet them where they're at. And I saw this picture a couple weeks ago, and it was just, it was, it just paints this picture to me so perfectly, right? I mean, when you talk about getting down on someone's level, when you say, hey, this is what leadership looks like, right? And I, I, I can bust on Stephen, but I can also brag on him, and I'm just happy to be in a place where, in many ways, this is the posture that, that Stephen takes to get down on, 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 on the level of those around him. And the, the scripture tells us in Matthew 23, 11 through 12, it says that the greatest among you will be your servant. 
For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. They'll be lifted. They'll be respected. And he tells this just to give you a little bit of context on this scripture. He's telling them and warning them as they're watching what the Pharisees do, as they sort of puff up their chests around everybody, and they say, look at me. Get on our level. He says that to, say, to reference them, to say, that's not how you're going to be. If you're going to be my disciples, you're going to get down into this posture of humility. You're going to get down on the level of others every opportunity that you get. Mother Teresa once responded to a woman who wanted to help her in ministering to those in India's most crowded cities in Calcutta. She once said to her, she said, listen, just find your own Calcutta. Find your own Calcutta. And she, re- she, she later writes this. She says, you can find Calcutta anywhere in the world. You only need two eyes to see. Everywhere in the world there are people that are not loved, people that are not wanted nor desired, people that no one will help, people that are pushed away or forgotten, and this is the greatest poverty. Where is your Calcutta? My guess is it could be within your own four walls of your home. My guess is they could be even a mile from your house. When's the last time that you've stooped down, that you've got on the level of somebody, even within a mile of your own home? That's the posture of humility. You see, the greatest among us are not the ones that stand above us in greatness. They're the ones that live among us in the way that Jesus did. So where are those opportunities for you to live among people? Where are those opportunities for you to get down on the level of everyday people? This is how we humble ourselves, by meeting others on their level. And so let's just pray that God would continue to show us those places. God, where are those places for me? And maybe before you even do that, maybe there's some things you need to do to humble yourself even in your own home. Like admit you're wrong once in a while. Like forgive somebody. You see, you can't be humble and carry a grudge. So maybe it's time to finally let those things go so that you're no longer burdened by that. And you can actually go then and serve some folks around you. And you can serve those people in your home. And you can serve those people um, that you might see on a day-to-day basis. Who can you think of that, that needs a voice? That you could be a voice to the voiceless. Who do you know that's been wronged that you could be just step out for the sake of justice on their behalf? People of God, this is what we are called to do if we are to have the mindset of Christ, that we are to continue to get on the level of others. You say, well, why do we do all that? The answer is very simple, and it says here that God, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why we do it. We do it for the King. We do it because he is worthy. He is worthy of our very best. And so in each and every one of those moments, as we humble ourselves, we do it all so that Jesus would get more and more glory. As people come to you and say, well, hey, why did you do that? Or why did you take time to do that? And it's curious to them. Or, you know, it's just Jesus. I, just, I do it for Jesus. And I, I could do it all day long, all day, every day. And it's still, there's still so much more that I could do to just prove that he is worthy. And so we do it because we serve a king who is worthy of our best. One of the TV shows that Jess and I like to watch is this show, Blue Bloods. Anybody like to watch Blue Bloods? And uh, it's just, I, I love the show. And um, 
Reagan is his name, and it's a guy that's played by Tom Selleck, and he's the police commissioner, and there's just so many things, like, I just want to, like, I could, like, write a sermon according to, like, Reagan, you know, like, he's just got all these great one-liners, but one of the things that he says so often as he's, like, in conversations with the mayor, or he has to make a decision, or, or do something, is he always goes to the mayor, and he says, I serve at the pleasure of the mayor. I serve at the pleasure of the mayor. In other words, hey, you appointed me. I know you put me in this position, and so I just serve at your pleasure. I'm going to do my absolute best. I'm going to do what I think is right because I serve at the pleasure of the mayor. And friends, we serve at the pleasure of the king. God has appointed us to be his hands and feet here on earth, and we, we serve at the pleasure of the king. And so in everything that we do, we do it all for his pleasure and his glory. This past week, and talk about one of the most humbling um, days we've had with our student community was this past Wednesday, and we had the opportunity to get to pray for a young girl who's 13 years old. Her name is Katie Cobb, and she's battling cancer. She came up to, to um, Cincinnati Children's Hospital so that she could have the best resources as she continues to fight infections and, and fights this long battle ahead of her. And so as a community, we decided that the best thing we could do is just get down on our knees in a posture of prayer and just pray for her and rally behind her and throw our support behind her. And so our students, they wrote encouragement cards um, and, and just things that I was just, you'd be blown away by just um, some of the maturity in our students as they prayed for her and the kinds of things that they wrote on these cards to encourage her to lift her up and then as we come together and and just the kind of prayers they were praying for her on her behalf I was just humbled by that and moved by that and um, it was just a cool moment and I just encourage you, first of all, if you could be praying for her, praying for her family. Um, her, her father is a pastor in West Virginia, and so they've had to give up a bunch of stuff and, and come up here and settle in and just put all of their attention on her care uh, right now. Um, but while I was inspired by all of that, I was so inspired by Katie's story. And as we got to learn Katie's story and learn a little bit more about her um, from some family who, who sent us a video about her and, and just hearing about her and asking some questions about her. One of the things that you should know about Katie Cobb is while she has been dealt a difficult hand, she hasn't asked the question, why me? She hasn't asked that question. Instead, she's asked the question, how can I honor the king in this? How can I bring God glory through this? How can I do this in service to the king? And so her fight song is this song by Christy Knuckles, and it's called For Your Splendor. And I just wanted to share these words because I just feel like here's so much wisdom just packed into a 13-year-old girl. And I feel like there's so much that we could learn from her. And she wrote this blog. She started this blog so that she can encourage other teenagers her age and kids um, with her story. And this is her fight song. This is why she does everything that she does. Um, it's, it says this. It says, sometimes it's hard to grow when everybody's watching. To have your heart pruned by the one who knows best. And though I'm bare and cold, I know my season's coming, and I'll spring up in your endless faithfulness. With my roots deep in you, I'll grow the branch that bears the fruit. And though I'm small, I'll be standing in the storm, because I'm planted by the river, by your streams of living water, and I'll grow up strong and beautiful, all for your splendor, Lord. Now, what if that was all of our fight songs, that we could just all get to this place where everything that we do, we do it all for the king, all for the splendor of the king. I love the heart of King David when he writes, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. 
received, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We serve at the pleasure of the King. And so we're going to sing here in just a minute. And uh, I, I just want to kind of mention a, a couple things as we're heading out of here. And the first is, here's next week is just an incredible opportunity as we carry on this tradition of Axis Serves to just go out and in simple, practical, small ways serve at the pleasure of the King and give God our best and bring God glory and be humbled as we get the opportunity to do those things. And so I just want to encourage you to sign up, to be a part of that. There's actually sign-up sheets out in um, the uh, foyer as well as you head out. And Stephen mentioned signing up online. But um, let's make sure that, man, we just we show up. I hope that would be awesome if that was like we had a, a record amount of people here next week that just said, hey, let's just go out and let's be a presence in our community and let's do it all for the glory of God. Because it doesn't matter if we get the credit. We want to give him the credit. Because what we're learning as a community is the biggest win that we could have as a body of people is helping other people win. We want to help other people win. That's when we can truly become great in the way that God wants us to become great and descend to greatness in the way that he's called us to. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come back up. And, man, let's just lift it all up to the one who is worthy of our very best and all our praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you that you considered us worthy enough to come down, to lower yourself, to come down and be on our level, God, to do the unthinkable, to just make the greatest sacrifice that humanity has ever known, God. And that's the example that we want to follow. We want to be more like you, Jesus. Give us your eyes. Give us your heart. Help us to live with that kind of humility, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.